Welcome to the new Cat Chat, brought to you by Dr. Elsie's, the wonderful private company owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian whose personal mission is to formulate litters that keep cats using the litter box, which keeps them in their loving homes. I'm Tracy Hotchner, the author of The Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. My mission is to entertain, educate, and inspire cat lovers like you to give their kitty cats the best possible life in nutrition, affection, and environmental enrichment. With Dr. Elsie's support, The Cat Chat Show brings you interviews with cat authors and experts, some old favorites, some new conversations, so you can better understand and appreciate your own feline family members. Dr. Elsie's is also the founding and continuing sponsor of My Cat Film Festival, short films from around the world that celebrate kitty cats. Here's some exciting news. Thanks to Dr. Elsie's, you can now see streaming versions of the Cat Film Festival for free on Amazon Prime and Tubi TV. Hope you enjoy listening and watching. I am here yet again with the pleasure of being with Dr. Megan Heron, the, uh, one of the co-editors of Decoding Your Cat, the ultimate experts explain common cat behaviors and reveal how to prevent or change unwanted ones. And Dr. Megan, I had talked to you off the air, just a, a vague question, and I got somewhat gales of laughter from you. I would love to just step away from the book for one second and as a behaviorist and, and a fellow with 99 other co-behaviorists, what is the... Is there a profound difference in not only all purebred cats that are purpose-bred from your average domestic short hair cat, but what about certain breeds of cats, whether it's the Orientals or certain substrata of purebred cats? Do they lack some of the primal core drives that drive a regular cat, like prey and, and, and kill? Or do they have them even more oh, so? I would Oh, I'm, I'm going to say <laughs> it probably depends on, on the breed, but in my own personal experience, uh, so I, my, one of my favorite kitties was a, a Sphinx. His name was Mr. Gerard Bigglesworth. It was a negotiation with my husband on the naming when I told him <laughs> we were getting a bald cat. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I've never, I've never had a more heightening his cat in my life. And, you know, I, I came prepared for kittenhood with, all of my toys and my scheduled playtime and my multiple litter boxes and my cat tree in every room. And boy, was I in for it. I mean, he, you couldn't, you were, you didn't have time off. No kidding. <laughs> that seeking hunting, I got to play all the time was there. And I, you know, I, I was new to the breed. And as I made friends with others who have things that that is not unique to him. <laughs> um, and I know, I've talked to a lot of people. Maine Coons are another high-maintenance breed. All they seem like big, gentle giants. They, I've talked to so many people who, who've had to lock their pantries because they're stealing food. They're just, they can't be satiated. So that, again, if, if we're not providing <laughs> for these needs, sometimes even the, the purebreds can be, I would say, equal to the same needs as our domestic friends um, if not more so in many cases. Sounds like maybe um, more so. The Orientals are, are much more vocal, and I guess that's a fair generalization, right, yeah. whether it's your Siamese or, or perhaps Burmese and some others. Mm -hmm. But is there do they have a, high, a higher drive to interact with us? Do they need more social interaction? Is that something that people should be aware of? Because I, I think they mm -hmm. say – this could be an exaggeration, that a third of the cats in shelters 
can be pure, may be purebred cats. So you think, oh, wow, I'm getting a Persian for free, so to speak. <laughs> I don't have to wait mm-hmm. on a breeder's list. But are, are we at, we're rag dolls? I, I think in the in the book, Decoding Your Cat, it says it's mm-hmm. the number one mm-hmm. most uh, favored purebred cat, although a teensy proportion of people have purebred cats. Are there some whose needs are just so high that you have to make it, you know, like your your personal mission to, okay, I will now be handmaiden to a sphinx or handmaiden to a Burmese cat? Mm-hmm. Sure. I think, well, there's kind of two questions. The first is the the oriental breeds, so, right. and they're being so vocal. So I think what the difference between purebred cats and the domesticated cats is that there's a lot more artificial selection at play. And what right. that means is rather than natural selection, which is as nature is, driving the genetics and um, the sort of shape and behavior, we as humans have selected for certain physical traits and along with that come behavioral traits. So as over the years we have selected for a certain look, I think we also have cats that are selecting for highly social behaviors towards people. Right. And that's going to make them a lot more communicative. And so those vocal Siamese, that's, that's, that's sort of the stereotype, right? You get a Siamese, get some earplugs. Yes, <laughs> really. Because you hear from them all day, every day. <laughs> yep. Um, and that's and then anecdotally, that's definitely been my experience. Um, but I think again, that has to do with how humans have selected for appearance and behaviors come along with that. Um, and possibly we are, we're selecting for very social, for very social animals. These are bred to be house cats, right? With people and to be social. So it's definitely the case. So it sort um, of. And then your other your other question about certain breeds that stand out is really you're going to just sign up for a full time job. I'm going to have to go with uh, the Bengals taking number one. No kidding. Um, All of my thing. I mean, well, I mean, you think about that. They are, they're crossbred with a wild, you know, they're, they're a wild type, but I mean, they're, they are, they're very vocal. They're wonderful, fascinating creatures. Oh my goodness. Like I love, I have so many, not so many, but the few Bengal patients that I've had have been just wonderful, incredibly unique characters, but they are high maintenance and their families. I mean, the families I've met, they knew what they were in for. They just, some of their cats showed a little bit of abnormalities outside even the realm of normal for, for a bangle. But, um, you know, they, they, they want social interactions. They want hunting opportunities. They want to dig. They want to chew. They want to talk. And if you're not meeting their needs, you're going to know about it um, with where they pee. <laughs> that <laughs> may be your pillow. That may Oops. be your shoe. Um, they're very expressive with urine marking if we're not careful. So I, I feel like of all the breeds to take number one is, is uh, high maintenance. That's probably going to be the Bengals. That's really interesting. I've had Anthony Hutcherson on the show because I've met him actually at the Dr. Elsie's booth at the various pet uh, conferences that I go to. And he and I, I fell so in love with a kitten that he had. If I didn't have cat killing Weimar honors, I, there's no way I would have <laughs> left that 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 Orlando hotel without that kitten because he said, I'm not sure if I should keep this one. He had, you know, God knows how many dozen cats at home a kind of beauty that is breathtaking, but charm and adorable and sweet. And he's always got them going around on a wheel in the Dr. Elsie's booth. And it never occurred to me. And the wheel is really cool and fun. And they sell those wheels and anyone could have one for their cat. But I never quite got, it's sort of like some of the thoroughbred racehorses that I had over the years as show horses. In order for them to perform as a show horse rather than run a mile and a quarter, they basically had to be worn down every day, mm-hmm. exhausted mm-hmm. by lunging or by various other things in order to take that edge off. And I guess that's what you're saying, this high energy drive 
that mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. you just look at it from the outside, you say, what a beautiful cat. Oh, so affectionate and it's loving and this is so great. It's sort of like, be careful what you wish for, I would guess, in some purebred cats. Mm-hmm. I want a really loving social cat. Well, if you get that, that social loving cat wants a lot back from you. That's something I never exactly. really understood. And mm-hmm. this this book, Decoding Your Cat, really helps with that. That's what you're saying, is the demands on the human, they're immutable. That cat has been bred to want to socialize. It's not on your human agenda. It's when the cat wants it. The cat wants it. Mm-hmm. Is that about right? Yes. And if cat doesn't get, you're going to find out about yes. it in other ways. <laughs> yes. And yeah. so a but lot no, of... You're, you're absolutely right. If you get in, you get out what you put into it, right? And so yes. and to get that, and again, these cats with great, wonderful personalities, to really get the enjoyable, wonderful parts of that, you got to have a cat, happy cat. And to get yes. that happy cat, you've got to provide for their needs. And that's and that's work. You either have a full-time cat nanny, ha-ha, most people <laughs> can't afford it or wouldn't know how to hire that person, or you do it yourself. And even though <laughs> in your book, Decoding Your Cat... Some of the chapters talk about play sessions don't need to be longer than a few minutes, under five minutes. It, However, it, it still has to take place and multiple times mm-hmm. a day. It's not like, oh, I'm going to work all week and I'll play hard and good with my cat on the weekend. Be like cooping right. up a thoroughbred right. horse in a stall and saying, don't worry, bud, I'll let you out on the weekend. You open the door and, you know, boom. So I think that's probably the same thing with the kitties that that have that high drive to socialize and interact. Yeah, and it's not just play; it's it's social time, it's interaction, right. it's training. I mean, there's so much more that that play for a few minutes is just a part of it, it's just a I piece see. of the puzzle. Um, you know, just spending time with your cat, one on one social time, and it's it's to their choice. Are they wanting right. to play? Are they wanting to sit in your lap and cuddle? Do they want you to read to them? Do they want you to touch <laughs> them? Every cat is different. <laughs> And it's hard to predict when you're picking out a kitten to know what kind of personality you're going to have, which is why in some cases getting an adult is a little better if you have information about their personality and and have it match your lifestyle. But that one-on-one just, I'm just focused on you time is so helpful. You know, as a veterinary behaviorist, I have, I see cats that, that have had, they have some serious pathologies and some of those do require medication. But what I tell my clients is, you know, just 20 minutes of your time twice a day is going to do so much more than Prozac. (laughs) <laughs> yes, it really is. Not, and I, I've used Prozac very successfully and it saved lives with some of my patients, but that it doesn't replace right. that care, that time, that social interaction. So the idea that a cat is a passive housemate for a human, hey, he's there, he's on the back of the couch. And when I feel like it, I'll walk by and give him a stroke or oh, I think I have a fishing pole toy somewhere. Maybe I'll haul that out, you know, with my my skating equipment. It just doesn't work like that. I mean, there has to be a consistency. I think one one thing that surprised me, because I didn't really understand this about cats, but I come from originally a horse and then a dog world, which is very much on a schedule. Horses in a barn, when they know that four o'clock is the afternoon feeding time for grain, they'll all start nickering and and pawing on the ground. I mean, it's a really big deal. You feed them at exactly the same time because they're going to really act out. My dogs absolutely come and get me for, in the morning, they could just as soon have a cup of coffee and a cigarette. As far as I can tell, they don't seem all that motivated. (laughs) But when it's afternoon feeding time, they just come over and stare at me like, really, is your watch broken? And it turns out that cats are like that too. So 
that surprised me. And the book has a lot of things like their structure, predictability, and consistent interactions. How important is that to a purebred or a domestic, uh, you know, purebred, uh, unpurebred cat, just a domestic kitty cat, that they can have a reliable time that you will play with them, or you will feed them, or you will be home? Do they stress if you come home usually at 6 p.m., and then it's 9 o'clock and you stayed late at the office? Oh, I think most most cats, purebred or, or domestic, um, short hair are gonna are gonna have trouble with a major change in routine like that. Again, you're gonna have variance to, to everything where some cats are much more adaptable to changes in the routine, but you're gonna have a large majority of them that are, that are gonna struggle with that. And it doesn't mean that we all need to live the exact same lives every day. It's it's that we provide things at least in a predictable order. Like I talk to I have families who they have a job that's unpredictable that right. they get called out and, and their things change. But if what they can do is when they awake, that their routine follows the same order. So we're going to have, you know, maybe we'll start with your breakfast. So you have your wet food on your platter, as you like to call it. That's <laughs> your start of your day. Then we're going to have some one-on-one social time where I'm petting you and talking to you. And then we might engage in some interactive play. And then um, I'm going to start making my own coffee and have my own time. And I'm going to give you some treats and a food dispensing puzzle toy that you use on your own. Right. And you don't need me for that part. And so they're looking forward to each step. And by the end, it ends on something that they are sort of self-sufficient. I can self-entertain on this little food dispensing or whatever it is that the cat prefers. So then you can go about your day. And if, if your day isn't as critical, your schedule changes. So the hours that that occurs changes. You can at least try to insert this level of routine at the waking hours that you are with your cat. It can at least be helpful following that order if you can't. If you do have a consistent work schedule, then having them follow that same schedule. So if you have more time in the morning to follow through with all of these things, then that may be when you're engaging in more activities with your cat than it is in the evening. Trying to flip-flop back and forth may be a little harder. And what you might find is your cat's going to start demanding at their preferred time. If they've seen it both ways and they prefer, well, I'd rather play with you at five in the morning than seven (laughs) at night when it's convenient for you, you're going to find they're going to start asking for it at that time. And then you're going to have no choice but to engage in some way uh, to combat those. So try to have a strategy and plan for, all right, because, you know, your humans are part of the equation as well and their, their needs matter. And so trying to find a compromise of, all right, well, I need to be consistent. I need to find a routine, but how is it, how can I do that in a way that fits my needs as well? And there is usually a way to do that, that, that meets the human needs as well as the cat. And, but and, consistency and interaction is important, not just for being predictable, but so that they know how do you want to pet them? Where are they going right, to pet? How long right. is this interaction going to last? Mm-hmm. And that that interaction is really consistent among family members. And it's a, for households with children, this is a great opportunity for modeling what is good behavior so as you've mentioned in our previous podcast, letting kids just go wild with a laser pointer, it's, that's, that's not, <laughs> that's not going to be helpful for the cat. Instead, if we can make good choices and appropriate choices in how we interact with our cat, how we might use that laser pointer, or how we might touch our cat with one to two fingers on the head and neck right. rather than rubbing all the way down their back into their tail, we need to model that. Children will imitate us. I've got a four and a six year old daughter, and believe me, <laughs> when I hear them parroting my words, it's, <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> kind of wonderful uh, or kind of creepy, depending on what it is you said. Yeah, yeah. So, 
Um, I want to, you know, if I, if we've been, we, you know, we were roughhousing with the dog, you know, the next day the kids are going to be doing that as well. So we have to right. check ourselves. Remember, is what I'm doing something that's safe and goodwill for, for my cat if my kid were to do this as well? And it's I a think opportunity for modeling that. it is. And it's also a great opportunity to teach humane thinking so that if you don't mm-hmm. just say, we're only going to touch the kitty's head and neck with these two fingers. And you would then go that extra step, which parents get exhausted by explaining everything, but it's it's part of what we have to put into raising another human. It's because the cat really doesn't like her body touched over there. And the reason she hisses or swats or even bites at you or scratches you, that feels bad to her. So we're going to do mm-hmm. things that feel good to her. And she doesn't like a whole lot of it. And then you can even show the child by ruffling the child's hair or patting the child on the head, which is very unpleasant to humans, and show a kid that touching a cat in ways that don't feel good to the cat is is going to wind up being an unpleasant ending for you, the child or the human, the grown human. But it's because it feels bad to the cat, not the cat's mean or cranky. But you don't go over and jump on a kitty and wake it up on the couch when it's snoozing because that's scary and upsetting. So we don't want you, child, to get bitten or scratched. But the reason why the cat does it is the cat's scared. The cat's uncomfortable. I mean, decoding your cat made clear to me something I've never fully understood that there are, and, and it talks about studies that have shown it that many cats really only want to be touched on the head and the neck. And I've always known for quite a short amount of time, the minute the tail flicks, that's enough, bub. But the <laughs> fact that for a lot of cats, the, the hind end of their body, so the idea of stroking from the head all the way to the tail that you think, oh, that's a lovely massaging motion. For a lot of cats, that's way too much information physically. It's just stop at mm-hmm. their neck. If you want to do maybe their shoulder area, maybe, but why push the, why push the envelope? Don't you think that's an important part of the book is it explains to people by talking about studies and observational studies that have been done, why for many cats, something is just not pleasant. And if someone knew that it isn't that individual cat who's being crabby or you person who has a a bat, you're not a good cat guardian, is that this is a true thing for cats. There's things they really love and things they really don't love. And once you know them, you'd never do them again. I mean, a decoding your cat's the perfect title, Megan. I think it really is. It's like there's <laughs> things you just have not even realized. And once you realize them, things are going to be a lot happier between you and the kitty. I agree. And it's really all about creating empathy. Yes. So maybe we could have named it empathize, empathy for your cat. Absolutely. <laughs> because if we can empathize with, with how they're interpreting our interactions, we, we, we totally change our ways, right? Empathy is so, the perfect so- word. And we're saying Mm -hmm. teach a child to be empathetic, but really what your book is doing is teaching grownups to be empathetic because if you're ignorant, that is to say you don't have the information, not stupid, but ignorant, how can you know? Mm -hmm. Until it's decoded, you're like, oh, I see. I think for me, the book has a lot of, oh, I get it. There's a lot of that for Mm -hmm. me. So thank you for putting it together and thank you for being here. It's a great pleasure. Oh, it's been my pleasure as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope this conversation has deepened your understanding and affection for cats everywhere. 
It's been brought to you by Dr. Elsie's, which has broken new ground by creating a healthy, dry, and canned food for kitties called Clean Protein, which is inspired by the protein levels found in a cat's natural prey. So your cat's appetite is satisfied longer without compromising her health. This is the first dry cat food I believe can be a healthy choice if you want to feed dry food to your cat, even as part of her diet. Although I recommend that canned food should always be your cat's primary diet. Feel free to reach out to me with questions or comments to radiopetlady at gmail.com. Now pop over to Amazon Prime or Tubi TV where you can watch streaming versions of the Cat Film Festival for free. Also thanks to Dr. Elsie's.